Kuasa bro Hai There's not a rule that you have to use the three subs He's, he's the best left back in Canada Without a doubt Welcome back to another episode of the Third Sub Podcast, and welcome to season two of the Third Sub Podcast. A new intro on the airwaves, but the same old us. I'm your co-host Alexander Gungaruzic. I'm joined by Samuel Rowan, as always. Before we dive into a jam-packed episode filled with a few surprises, Sam, how are you doing this week? I'm uh, doing well, doing well. Looking forward to breaking down the Vancouver Whitecaps as we head into the 2021 regular season. Jam-packed show, going to talk roster, going to talk general expectations for the Western Conference and the league as a whole. Just kind of give a, a crash course rundown and everything that's going to be going on. And uh, yeah, just looking forward to getting into it. But before we dive into it, we must introduce a new member on our team heading into Season 2 of the Third Sub Podcast. We are pleased to be joined by Peter Hicken of AFTN, who is going to be a guest contributor on the Third Sub for this season and possibly beyond. He is going to do definitely a weekly segment on on the shows with Whitecaps, but for today, to join us to help preview the show, he's going to be riding shotgun. So Peter, welcome to the show. Hey guys, thanks for having me on. Without further ado, I mean, we're going to start at the top with the roster. The Whitecaps made some signings. They brought back a pretty good chunk of old guys in the roster. We've sort of talked about it a bit, but we haven't done an all-encompassing preview yet. So we're going to start with that now. And I mean, Sam, where do we want to start with the roster? I guess we can start in goal and work our way down. We want to also look at just the permutations of this season in terms of schedule also finish with some predictions because it wouldn't be the third sub without some predictions to put our necks out on the line but starting with the roster sam where do you want to begin well yeah i think you have to start in goal but between the sticks so to speak and uh max Cripo back from injury thomas assal coming off also another injury but a breakout year of sorts got evan newton in the fold isaac bomer youngster so uh, let's let's start right there. Alex, thoughts? I mean, I think Max Cropo is the the presumptive starter until proven otherwise. Didn't get a lot of action in that uh, Cayman Islands match, but uh, nonetheless, looks good. Thomas Assal, from what I saw in training camp in Vancouver, full fitness, uh, reflexes as sharp as ever. Isaac Bomber, Bomer, good as well. Evan Newton, you know, pretty pretty decent. It's 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 a strong group. We've spoken a lot on the third sub about the coaching and that, you know, you could probably bring any youngster into the fold and it feels like Yusuf Daha just keeps pumping out good prospects. So uh, a position of strength, I think. That's right. I'd agree with you. I mean, Max Crepo, forgotten man, I'd say in goal. I think we all forgot how good he was in 2019 and how, I think how important he'll be on this Whitecaps team, especially in terms of keeping the house steady at the back. Thomas Assault pretty darn good backup he's ready to play hopefully we get to see him rotated in for midweek matches if Crepo's away with Canada etc Evan Newton pretty good insurance you know 33's proven himself at, at the USL level and then Isaac Bomer personally 
I do hope there's maybe a loan for him. But then again, with goalkeeper depth being as it is, as we saw last year, maybe it's smart just to keep him around because for all we know, he could end up playing at, at some point. So for me, I don't have much to say. It's a position of strength. But uh, I guess maybe, yeah, Peter, kind of your thoughts on on the situation in net for the Whitecaps right now. Yeah, it's it's really interesting because I think you have – You've got Kripo, who obviously, after what he did in 2019, comes in as the Eurosum starter at the same time. Sal made a lot of people think, you know, should he have a starting role in the league this in the league this year, or given the opportunity at least to try. And at the same time, you got Evan Newton, who has had plenty of time in USL and at the same and was a backup on MLS rosters, and he's he's got something to prove too. So it'll be really interesting to see who can come out of this as a starting keeper. No, I agree with you. It's it's 100% that. With Hassal, as he showed last year, I, again, he, he's ready. Yusef Daha has a lot of trust in him. I do wonder, though, in terms of, like, ball playing, does someone like Crepo just... Again, we talk about forgetting what Crepo provided. We've mentioned before, Hassal sometimes is play on the ball last year was was you know he was troubled with that at times he's still a young goalkeeper he's got a lot to work on and he's only 20 21 a position at where goalies they tend to hit their primes 26 27 28 so for him any minutes he gets this year's bonus obviously again i think he's ready to play 10 15 games it's not to say they should forget about him but crepo is a top goalkeeper and I think maybe I'm curious to see what happens next year. Does Crepo continue the European adventure? Like you said, he'd be potentially interested in who knows, but especially in a year like this, where there's so much confusion with the schedule and international breaks, it's never bad to have depth at this position. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, without further ado, I think, does that take us to, to the center backs? I mean, the, the goalkeepers, maybe the least, you know, the least amount of drama on the roster short of, Thomas Assal stepping in and doing something phenomenal again, but uh, it's relevant right now because center backs, there's been some injury concerns. Alex and I talked about it on the last podcast. We kind of had conflicting views on that issue (laughs) earlier today reported Eric Godoy staying in Utah for the exhibition matchups. So that's obviously not good news. doesn't mean it's catastrophic. It, It very much remains to be seen, but both him and Derek Cornelius not making that trip for those two exhibition matches. So definitely a point of concern, at least in the short-term health element. In terms of overall strength of the position, though, I think you you have, as Alex and I have put it, a possible top five center back in MLS when healthy in Eric Godoy. Derek Cornelius, a guy that we like a lot that just hasn't been shown a level of confidence by the coaching staff that we maybe look for. And Ranko Vasilinovich, someone who came in with a, a kind of an underrated, but you know, diamond in the rough reputation, maybe didn't live up to that in year one, but I think there was a lot of room for improvement. So it's a position of strength, or at least it should be. The question is, can the group stay healthy? The question is, can they perform up to their potential? And that's what I'm really going to be watching this year. Boy, I mean, just hopping on on that. That's it. I, I feel group-wise, I have full confidence. Heck, even when Yasser Kamiri was here. On paper, it looks damn good. The question it, is, does it actually translate to the field? And that, and that's it. And I mean, I think they showed flashes when they played together last year. There, there wasn't, certainly center back, again, maybe aside from some moments of 
just falling asleep, frankly, for, for a lack of a better way of putting it, from Ranko Veselinovic. It wasn't a problem. Obviously, Eric Godoy coming back helped. And clearly, he's got some underlying health issues, and at least on the lower half of his body that he's got to sort out now. I think the fact that they're playing on grass to start the year, maybe that, that could be a blessing in disguise for Godoy because I think it's now what? It's been like an ankle issue, a quad issue, a knee issue. He needs just to get healthy, and he's a good player, like you mentioned. He need, we, the Whitecaps need to see him on the field healthy as much as possible if they want to be as good of a, a version of themselves as they can be. But if not, again, hopefully Derek Cornelius can get fit. He hasn't really been someone who struggled with injuries. Obviously, he was a you know he suffered a knock. He's working through that. Suffered it with the U23s. Looking down the list, Rose is he proved to be good depth last year, so there's no problems there. It's just can they stay healthy? Because with no Kamiri, they have four guys. All of a sudden, if a Cornelius is away internationally, heck, Ranko gets back into the Serbian fold. Or, you know, is DeSantos ready to trust someone like Gianfranco Facinieri to, to get starting minutes? I think he's ready, but he's a center back, 18-year-old center back. How many 18-year-old center backs are going to go into a pro environment and succeed? I have not the many- feeling Mark is not going to like our hype about Facinieri. He, I can just already see him shaking his head because... <laughs> Well, that's it. It's nothing to do with Facinieri. It's just the fact that most 18-year-old center backs just don't get thrown into the fire. And I don't. I know if, if needed, I feel like Dos Santos would rather throw in a Daniel Bikel at center back or a, even like something obscure like a Javane Brown. He said he's talked about Javane Brown at center back. But uh, yeah, I guess just throwing it over to Peter. I don't know where you kind of find, you know, the center back group. But I just think there's so many question marks, but there's also a lot of potential. Exactly, because it should be a position of strength, but there's so many questions around that because I think even though you've got really four center backs who could be in contention to start, I mean, no offense to Facinari, but the question is really going to be if you're going to, if of those two, regardless of what happens, if you're going to have a starting pair cement themselves, one that DeSantos doesn't have to ask himself every single game if he needs to change it up because that's happened so much in the past two years. Like Parker and Waston made that their position for a few years under Rabo. And just in order for this defense to be what it, what it needs to be for this team to contend for playoffs and contend for championships, it's going to have to be cemented. And it's going to have to be a position that the Santos doesn't have to worry about. So that's really just the question that's going to happen. On top of the fact that there's so many national team games this, this year that we also may see Derek have to go away on international duty a lot. Well, just kind of throwing it back at you, you know, as you mentioned, you'd prefer to see a pair cemented. If you had to pick day one roster, assuming everyone's healthy, who do you run with if you're DeSantos? I think ideally I want to see Godoy and Ranko there, but I also haven't seen enough from Ranko yet to outweigh the possibility that that could be Cornelius. Because Cornelius is has shown both at the Olympics and in these last past two years with the Whitecaps, that he can be a leader. But he also needs the confidence, right? And it's a question, I think, for him in terms of his ceiling of how how much confidence he can get. If he can get that confidence and he can lock down a starting spot, I think he can be a really good center back for the Whitecaps. But, but it's going to be an issue if he can get the consistency and the confidence to do that. Yeah, well, I think that's pretty pretty accurate summation of how we certainly feel about Cornelius. Probably a good summation of Cornelius himself. I mean... He's he's talented. He's shown flashes. I just again the game I'll always reference is DC in 2019 where he kind of broke out. Even last year when he was thrown into the fire, 
in games at MLS's back in the back end of the season, he looked good. But for whatever reason, no matter how well he played, he just didn't get a run out of games. And it's like, what's going to happen this year? Obviously, Godoy is your guy. But what happens if he drops? You know, does does DeSantos go with Cornelius and, and Veselinovic at the back? What happens if Godoy's healthy? Does he rotate between Godoy, you know, Veselinovic and Cornelius? And it's such a tough position to judge because, like you mentioned, center back, there's just not a lot of rotation typically in most teams. You kind of got your two guys and you ride them into the ground because you don't need to rotate them every two, three days. But at the same time, when some teams, when there's an injury, their team falls apart. And at least with the Whitecaps, they have that depth. But I really, I don't envy the position of having to rotate and choose through, you know, your center backs when you have so many options. But maybe moving on to the fullbacks, that's certainly a position where, again, especially in the modern game, you can rotate your fullbacks. There's no, there's there's less of a stigma around, okay, I, one week I can rock with these two fullbacks, the next week I can switch the other. Maybe that's a good thing. You know, Ali Adnan and Bruno Gaspar, at least on paper, they could be a top five duo, duo in, in MLS or maybe if not the top duo in MLS in terms of two quality fullbacks. But after them, Jake Nerwinski broke out last year, kind of at least in terms of making him himself an all-around player. And Christian Gutierrez was sneakily good and underrated last year for the Whitecaps. I mean, I'll, I'll throw it over to Sam to start. I mean, the fullback position, it's a long cry from the days where I think start of DeSantos era where it's just brett levi's and who else at left back and just a dearth of players at, at that position yeah well I, I get the sense that we're already kind of trending in a direction that like my colleague at 86 forever caleb wilkins always references this that you know in isolation you you've got to love a lot of these white caps players but then why has the product on the pitch been so the opposite of that because we're moving into our third position group and it's like man here's another group with a lot of potential with a lot of top players on their best day um, and not to be overly like johnny news reporter but the white caps aren't going to be starting on opening day at least as far as it looks with either of those top two fullbacks it's probably going to be jake Nerwinski and christian gutierrez because ali adnan's still in vancouver with visa issues bruno gaspar yet to arrive in the states but at least that process is moving along so i'm excited about what that's going to look like that potential top five pairing you talked about but hitting the ground running is important and for the whitecaps not to be able to do that and not build that chemistry right off the bat like the, the article that I wrote, I guess it was probably a month ago now about life without a number 10 and how the fullbacks and some of their midfielders were a key part of that. I think missing the opportunity to build that chemistry early on, while not, you know, a completely fatal blow is going to be really challenging to try to have to integrate tactics on the fly. It's not as easy. You can't just practice, you know, the, the exact 4-3-3 you want one session with your players and go, right, that's it. We have the tactic mastered. Now we're going to go do it on the pitch. So I think the challenge for these guys at the fullback position is going to be more about how they're integrated into the squad than necessarily their individual abilities. And we're, we're just going to have to see where that goes. I, there's going to be squad rotation. Mark DeSantos talked about it and we was asked about whether Jake Nowinski was a backup and did not like that question at all and got, got a little standoffish. So yeah, we're going to see four guys at least play regular minutes. It's how do they fit in? How does that benefit the squad? That's the question mark, not necessarily the players. And uh, 
I think it is worth it is worth pointing out that like is Gaspar I'll, I'll pose this question to the two of you is Gaspar the best defender there in the group because you know Gutierrez his awareness at times defensively wasn't terrific Jake you know I don't know he gets a little too much blame for crosses at the back post but he's not a perfect defender Ali Adnan has his defensive deficiencies Javane Brown we just don't know yet it's it's a group with a lot of talent and potential offensively and athletically but I do think that you know their defensive solidarity is it's something we're going to have to see. Yeah, well, it, it, there's so many question marks again, like like you mentioned at, at the position. There's a lot of good. There's a lot that we need to see as well, and you know you know copy and paste that from the center back position, really. And I guess it kind of goes into a whole other problem. The, just the preseason, like. I feel like DeSantos, he's going to hear the word preseason and he's just going to, it's just going to like snap something in his head and just, he's going to break down because he's had like the three worst preseasons anyone could even imagine. And like now he finally gets a preseason where he has 22 guys already signed to his roster. He has a team to, to, to work with, you know, he's, he's not entering preseason with like six dudes and they're just filling the filling bodies in at one point. And then his, like he's his, one of his best players in Ali Adnan misses half of training camp with visa issues, gets into training camp, goes through a two week quarantine trains two weeks and then go, they go to the States and he has another visa issue and isn't able to train. So it's just, it's been all over the place in terms of that. But like you said, it, again, I think the modern game for fullback, they're all good defenders. It's all about engagement and being engaged. And I think, as we'll touch upon in a second, a guy like Janio Bakel might be kind of the, the key to unlocking them defensively and offensively. So that's kind of where I'd, I'd stand uh, on the fullbacks. Yeah, to your question, Sam, I think, um, yeah, I think that Gaspar has to be the be- I think he has to be the best defender in the group. At least you'd think so, given his pedigree and just the short reel of highlights that I've watched from him. But yeah, I think it's even more interesting on the left side because exactly as you just mentioned, Alex Ali Adnan isn't able to travel with travel with the group and train with the group, and I, it's honestly it's honestly it'll be interesting to see how long that'll take because I can't wonder if it's related to the, the travel ban, which has been lifted, but that's a directive and it still takes a while to get through the system when they do those types of things, um, and if yeah, because if, if Gutierrez starts for if this travel or this visa issue t- goes on for a prolonged amount of time. Gutierrez gets a whole bunch of starts as the coach you know how do you do you leave him in there do you throw Adnan in if he's been away from the group for like a month right that's a exactly it's going to be tough for this team to settle into the playing style they want given how many absences they have right now and and Goody as well it's there's an added level of intrigue because I think of any player on the roster we've heard the most from Dos Santos this offseason about how he's come back a new and improved guy and you just Mark doesn't do a lot of hyping up his players but I think Gutierrez this preseason we've heard about as much hype as we ever get from Mark DeSantos so I you know you make a really good point Peter that if all of a sudden he's five six matches into the into the season and playing really well it's gonna it's gonna create a challenge. Guti yeah he's he's a good player too that's the thing if he gets a run out in the squad last year when he got he was playing 30 minutes off the bench and he looked great and he was good enough to force DeSantos to consider playing Adnan further up the pitch so it's not like you know Gutierrez again with the Whitecaps thin depth at wing again more on that in a second 
do we see Adnan moved up the pitch when he when you know when he comes back? Maybe I I, I do wonder if if we could see something like that. But it's well, certainly did, it's didn't MLS.com they had him listed as a right winger on the depth chart, not I, not I, not as the starter, but as a as as a sub kind of sub depth at right wing. So I'd know, say we'll continue maybe, to bring that up. I'd maybe say he's a left back. Let's not say he's a right winger or left wing. Sorry, at, at most a left mid, but maybe maybe not a right winger as much as I'd like to see him cut in and. Not absolutely destroy some left backs but uh the less said about that uh projected depth chart the better <laughs> i guess just moving up the, the depth chart we don't have much else to say about fullbacks i think it's a even just adding someone like javane brown who we just didn't talk about in that equation he's a looks like a solid draft pick typically in, in super draft i feel like fullbacks are the safest and most productive draft picks in terms of output for every Daryl DK and Kyle Laren there is, there seems to be. There's an Omar Salgado. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But there, you know, fullback, lower, I think it's just the whole low, high floor, low ceiling kind of vibes. You got lots of Jake Nerwinskis and Chase Gaspars, and I could go down the list for hours hanging around MLS. It, you know, I think Javane Brown could be a solid piece. Again, I'm not the biggest fan of spending an international spot on your third backup right back and third choice center back or whatever it is, like sixth choice center back, but... We could talk about inefficient resources, but I guess with Adnan no longer confirmed to be a full DP, you know, they're, they're doing a little better in the fullback department than they say were oh, they were a month ago before we thought Adnan was a full DP. But moving up to the middle of the park, boy, it's just just such an interesting group. You got Michael Baldissimo, who wasn't there this time last year. He was around, but no one knew anything about what he could offer at MLS level. The results are in. He's a pretty darn good MLS player. Kyle Alexandre, we don't know anything about him, but he looks like a good signing. Leonard Owusu, a player that's maybe a bit undervalued and misused, miscast, at least in my opinion. I don't know if Sam agrees with that. He he still has a lot of potential. Everyone's forgetting about him. Daniel Bacal, we know what he can bring. Good player. And then just rounding off that group, Patrick Metcalf has a lot to offer. I think, you know, again, he's a forgotten prospect. Russell Tiber, you know what you're going to get with him. You're not, you know you're always going to get a solid 90 out of him no matter where you put him. And then Damiano Pasile, I personally think he should go out on loan. I think he's someone that if you're going to keep Metcalf, you let Pasile go get minutes. But he can play. It's just a matter of getting him the confidence and the minutes. But uh, just to maybe, yeah, throw it off to Peter first. What are your thoughts on the midfield? Because it's just such a topic of discussion with the Whitecaps. You ask some Whitecaps fans, you mention the word midfield, and they like, you know, they start to grab their chest in, in, in recollection of uh, midfields of the past eras. Obviously, no number 10. You kind of have to preface every discussion you have about the midfield with that caveat. But despite that, where would you put this midfield group compared to, say, the one that started last year, which I guess would have been Inbaum, Owusu came in late, Bikel came in late. So it was really just Inbaum, Tybert, and, uh, and that. Yeah, no, I think this is definitely... The, the midfield has been a recurring headache for Whitecaps fans, and it's been a constant issue with our blaming the defense for the fact that the midfield has just not had... The lack of investment in the midfield has made it a very one-dimensional, and largely the team a one-dimensional... It's limited how you know, how flexible we can be. This midfield is probably... I, I think it's as close as we've been to the Laba Morales pair we had back, back under Rabo. I think Alexander. I think Ale or Kyle Alexander's. Obviously, we haven't seen him, and he's only ever played one season in the Brazilian first division. But he looks really, really promising. We know what Bikel can do. I think this 
and and Baldissimo as well. I think this midfield is significantly better if you're only playing two defensive midfielders. So once you get a number 10 or somebody to sit up there, I think this midfield's great. There's a lot of depth there. To play only three players there, to play three players there, starters, it's it lacks maybe a bit of attacking prowess that the team could use, but it's still it's still a quite competent midfield into compared to what we've had in 2019. 2020 and yeah 2018 too probably for the last few years it's much better that's that's exactly it i mean it's a potential thing it's certainly it's one where there's just so many question marks like is you know you wonder is baldissimo going to face a sophomore slump for example that sometimes does happen in the in a league like mls where it's just so much travel you can hit a wall you know what happens with a guy like leonard obusu he, he's all, kind of been all over the park Daniel Bikel, ditto, he's dealt with injury concerns. It seems like he's healthy. He's trained fully ever since coming into camp, so I don't think there's any concerns there. But just the fact that he missed so much time with the quad injury last year, you know, it adds question marks. So I, I definitely think it's a sign of progress. I think, first of all, that Russell Tybert on paper is probably fifth, you know, yeah, looking probably fifth or maybe even – yeah, okay, maybe not lower than fifth, but fifth in the depth chart. I think that's a big advance. He, last year, he was third, maybe heading in third slash fourth. Ditto the year before, he was kind of second, third in the depth chart. He's a good player, but I just think if you want to be a good team in MLS, you want a guy like Tybert to be someone who's fighting for a spot, who's trying to work his way into the squad. And I think just looking at the depth chart, the fact that he is where he is now is a, the biggest sign of improvement that maybe we've kind of glossed over in recent years when looking at, okay, they brought in good players like Inin Bamhuang, but they haven't really addressed other problems such as depth. And I mean, they're still working on the top end talent part, but I just think in terms of both top end talent and depth, this group seems a lot better than it was last year. Yeah. Just, just circling back a couple minutes because I didn't get the chance to bring this up, but the, and I just can't help myself. One of the super draft guys that didn't work out recently defensively was Brendan McDonough. I don't know. That's It's one of those ones that at the time seemed like a surefire. Oh, yeah, he'll be good center back depth for the next five years and just didn't pan out. So, yeah, just had to bring that up. But in terms of the midfield, I think going back to what Peter was talking about, I look at the depth chart there and you know the way they're going to play. And I really wonder about two guys. I wonder about Alexandra and I wonder about Owusu specifically. What is their true best position? What is their true best role? We got some play from Owusu last year, but I don't think we know what that position is yet. Alex certainly has his ideas. Mark DeSantos certainly has his ideas as well. You know, they've been, they've yet to really decide on it. And Alexandra, you know, he's played as a six, but. The whole scouting staff is insistent that, oh, this guy has box-to-box qualities. Well, okay, we're going to have to see that not only does he possess those qualities, but does he possess those qualities in a way that fits the MLS and fits whatever system the Whitecaps want to run. So those two guys are the big question marks, again, not just because of what they bring to the table and you know whether they're going to max out their potential, but just kind of how they're going to fit in whatever the Whitecaps end up doing. Baldissimo, hopefully it's a it's a linear progression, but as Alex pointed out, I mean, you know, sometimes pros are prone to, to second-year slumps. Sometimes the honeymoon phase wears off. I, I think from what we saw at Olympic qualifiers, I don't expect that he to be the case with Baldissimo. But, you know, and, and Alex and I certainly, you know, from 
what you guys have heard in the podcast, we have a lot of confidence in him. So I'm, I'm excited, but yeah, Bikel seems very, you know, just plug and play Bikel in that six role. I think you know what you're going to get. The question is with those other two spots, how do you get the most out of it? And that's just going to remain to be seen. But to kind of summarize what both of you guys said in terms of quality and diversity of player types, this is the best group we've seen in a while. And, uh, you know, it kind of gets a TBD grade for now because we just have to see what it looks like practically. And this is, if we're going through the depth chart so far, even though there's a lot of improvements, this is still the one where there's a lot of questions to be answered. And, you know, I don't want to make any grand proclamations until probably week six or week seven of the MLS season where we see more Maybe of these guys on the, exactly, see more of these guys on the field regularly. Well, just kind of to add to your point earlier about center backs and full backs being good in recent years and not looking as good as they are. The midfield probably is a hundred percent the reason behind that. So totally. I think the, if you're going to see, okay, they have good forwards, they have good defenders. Well, if the midfield is what is doing well, then we're going to see the best of these guys. We're going to see, the best of a Bruno Gaspar and Adnan pairing if Janio Bikel is in there playing and playing at his best. So this is where I'm going to have an interesting question for you guys. Who do you think of this group of, say, six? You know, obviously you could pick, you know, some of the younger guys as well. But who do you think of this midfield group is the most important Whitecaps midfielder? Because some might say Michael Baldissimo. He, you know, he brought a lot last year in terms of just progressing the ball forward. A known problem of the Whitecaps. But someone like Janio Bikel... You can't forget the fact that he played, I think it was 10 games in midfield last year or started 10 games in midfield. The Caps had a six and four record with him in there. And it was something like a three and 10 record without him in midfield. That's, you know, th- that that's pretty fascinating to see how good they were with him in midfield versus without. But even someone like Leonard Owusu, he could be a forgotten man in midfield or Kyle Alexander. So I'm kind of curious to see, because I feel like there's no easy answer. So maybe I'll, I'll throw it to Peter first. Who is your kind of guy that you think kind of stirs the drink in the middle of the park for the Whitecaps now? Well, I think exactly as you said about the, def- about the defense and the midfield and how those two quantities are connected. I think the most important midfielder, whether he's the best midfielder or not, has to be the guy that's sitting at number six. Because you've seen, play- you've seen teams in MLS either sign big players or they pick them up off the transfer market, like Seattle with a guy like Gustav Svensson, someone whose job really is just to sit there and to protect the defense and to protect the team because he allows whoever's in that number eight role, that could be an Owusu, an Alexander, maybe even a Baldissimo, to play to play higher. Their defensive qualities look better because they're doing a good job shielding them. Like somebody like Roldan, who's not necessarily a – out-and-out number eight, but he can play kind of six-two, but he becomes so evident as a number eight because of how good the guy who's defending him is. So I think the you know whether he's the best player or not, if Bikel has a really good season, I'm assuming he's going to be the guy who's sitting at number six. I think it's going to elevate this team both in the defense and in the attack more than any other position. Interesting. I, I, I'd probably add to my answer. I mean, actually, I'll throw it to Sam first before I give my name. Well, I don't know if my answer is going to be that exciting because I cannot go against what either of you guys were saying. It is Bukel. Again, as Peter said, you know, it doesn't. he doesn't have to be, in air quotes, the best midfielder, but he has to open up the field for the center backs, the fullbacks, the other midfielders, wingers even, right? Like he's got to provide that support defensively. He has to be reliable. 
you know, I think for for Alexandra and Baldissimo specifically, if those are going to be the two guys you run with alongside Bikel in a three-man midfield, they have to have that trust in him, have that confidence to be able to... If you're not going to have a number 10, Alexandra and Baldissimo have to not be afraid to make runs up the pitch, not be afraid to spray long balls. They're not, you know, if they're so worried about getting back defensively that they don't want to create, then that's going to stagnate everything the Whitecaps do. But if Bakel can help provide some semblance of calmness and just kind of confidence back there, it can it can unlock the way the Whitecaps can play without a number 10. So it's not necessarily anything new, but I think that's uh, that's the man to watch out for. And again, uh, shout out to MLS.com for not even having him as a starter. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I, exactly. I, I, go, go ahead, go ahead, Alex. No, 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 that's it. I was going to say, well, it's a joke, first of all, that MLS doesn't have him as, a, as, a, as the guy. Because he's pretty much, again, like you say, the most important. So... I don't want. I won't be boring and agree with you guys because I do agree with you guys. But I'll certainly I'll throw in Michael Baldissimo into that because he can defend. He he's a really good defender, but also what he just he offers is his offensive game. And I think for as good as the Whitecaps might be with Bakel defensively, and I think Bakel should play as many games as physically possible in at CDM. I think someone like Baldissimo alongside him, either as a double pivot or a little you know further forward as an eight of sorts that could be a huge difference maker just for guys like, you know, getting the ball forward because it's the, nice. The 40 have, yard laser beams across the pitch, the dribbles through the middle of the park. The fact that he's comfortable with his left, he's comfortable with his right. He can shoot the ball, you know, pretty darn good as he showed last year when he scored a, a goal on his, sec- his second game in, in MLS guy, having runners like Caicedo and Dahomey on the wings, Adnan and Gaspar guy like Cavallini if, with no number 10, Someone like Baldissimo might have to be the kind of guy to offer end product that is similar to what a number 10 would offer. So I wonder if having a guy like Bacal frees up Baldissimo to do what he does best. And Baldissimo ends up being a pretty important piece in midfield just because, as we've seen before, a guy like Inbom Huang, to use an example, because I feel like he has really similar qualities to Baldissimo. Maybe Baldissimo sits back a little deeper and doesn't, he's not as, say, further, he doesn't push up as high as someone like Inbom does. But Inbom, he just struggled by the fact that he never had a number six beside him. He, he had a guy like, you know, it was just, he would play the six or it would be someone like Yana Rise, who, again, he, he, had, he had good qualities, but maybe not a quality that this team needed. Janio Bakel brings that. And Inbom Huang never actually really got to play with it, uh, with Bakel at the six. Bakel was, you know, Bakel started the year at right back. He got injured. Inbom left by the time uh, they returned to Canada. And so we didn't see, get to see that sort of partnership happen. So I just wondered, does a Baldissimo and Bakel partnership give you some of that, that what was missing? So that's just personally what I see. But maybe, I don't know, I'm curious to see what you guys have to think of that Baldissimo claim. I mean absolutely like it's it's not all these you can make an argument that the three midfield positions if they're playing a three-man midfield are the three most important positions on the park for the white caps just because of you know the way they're either you can look at it both ways i guess the midfield has to do their job to unlock the other positions but but equally for the other positions to kind of you know be freed like it's all it's all very integrated, and I think so. Baldissimo, as as much as any of those guys that are going to be starters, is obviously vital. And he, I guess, similar to Bikel, he provides something that until we see Alexandra in person, 
Right now, he's the only guy that can turn on a dime and put it on Dahomey's foot as he's darting up the pitch. Right? There, there's one guy that can do that reliably, and so that's that's obviously invaluable until until a number ten arrives or until Alexander shows he's capable of the same thing. Exactly, because the creativity we, we just don't have like a Carlos Vela or Ignacio Piatti on the wings. You're, you need the creativity is going to have to come from the middle of the park, and whoever's yeah, whoever's playing more defensively is going to have to be able to provide the yeah the freedom and the space for even if you know you don't even notice it. He's going to have to provide the freedom and the space for guys like Alexander and Valdisimo to really press and push up the field. Well, I guess maybe moving on to some of the other guys who talking about offense the white caps we, we talk so much about defense forget the fact that uh they sometimes they struggle to, to score they struggle to create they've brought in a guy who can certainly help them do that Dibert Caicedo they got Christian Dahomey on the wings he had a sneakily good season last year I think it was four goals three assists in 20 games. second second half especially like over over a 34 game season that's like six seven goals seven or so assists that's not bad from a winger especially a winger on the Vancouver white caps a team that doesn't really generate at least last year didn't generate all that many chances we'll go through quickly through the winger depth just because it's such a thin position i'd say probably the what, yeah what winger depth that it's probably the weakest position in the team in terms of depth definitely caicedo and dahomey are good options it's just like what happens if there's an injury ryan Raposto can play in the wing he's a good winger uh, sam and i are definitely proponents of getting him more minutes but again you know not a slight on Raposo. That's not a slight on really any player that have to fill that role. One player as a backup for two players isn't really what you'd call ideal winger depth. And I suppose, you know, Ali Adnan can play on the wing. Russell Tybert can play on the wing. Christian Gutierrez, Theo Bear, all these guys, Toe St. Ricketts can play on the wing. But I don't know. I personally, I, I guess if you're moving to a 4-4-2, you could stomach, say, if you lose a Caicedo or a Dahomey, you put you know, an Adnan on a wing and a 4-4-2, for an example, you play a Cavallini bear up top, you stomach that, but you want to be doing as little amount of formation tweaks as possible. At least you don't want to be like DeSantos last year and use like nine formations in 23 games. You want to see them stick with a combination of the 4-4-2 and the 4-3-3, which to be honest, as we've seen, are pretty much the same formation with very, very minor changes. But I think looking at Dahomey and Caicedo, you have to be excited with that, right? Like, uh, just starting with you, Peter. Do you see any looking at those two? What do you think they can offer for the Whitecaps on the wing this year? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, yeah, there's not there's not a ton to say with the wingers because there's only really three natural ones. I mean, unless you consider Adnan a winger. Um, but I still, but yeah, I mean, Dahomey and Kaiseido. Dahomey was he was really good last season. He's one of these one of these guys who's walked into the team, and I was really impressed with Kaiseido looks really good i mean i know you guys have both had the opportunity to go to training and see him firsthand but from everything i've seen that the whitecaps have put out he looks he looks really dangerous he looks like he's got a lot of potential uh it's just going to come down to if they can if there's enough creativity coming out in the rest of the team to you know not put too much pressure on these guys to, to create let them go out there and have fun and kind of build chemistry with the club that's a good point about the not putting too much pressure because Caicedo's a young guy. He's a 2000 born, which is wild to think the white caps paid their fourth highest ever transfer expenditure on him. You know, that's a lot of pressure for a kid moving to a country for, for the first time. And he's going to start, he's here on time. He's going to have to play a big role. So I'm curious to see how he handles that. 
the one thing I will say about the whole the whole adjustment process, and I'm I was definitely someone right off the bat when they signed Caicedo. I was like, hey, you know, as a youngster, you can't just expect him to come in and hit the ground running full speed at the MLS level. It's going to be an adjustment process, and I still I think stand by that. But one thing that struck me from that week of training is that for a young guy in a new team just starting out. He looked really comfortable. He's joking around. He's laughing. He's taking on players one on one. Like there was a there's a very friendly vibe, but also a confidence and swagger. Like he knows his ability. He knows that he needs to have an impact on this team. He knows that there's the expectation that he's going to come in and be a starter. And so I think I was impressed with his demeanor for a young guy. Feels like someone that's that's ready to perform and so that doesn't mean that there isn't going to be an adjustment process there will be I'm sure but I do think that more than maybe on day one of him being signed I'm I'm relatively confident in his ability to come in and uh, you know kind of fill that you know he's not afraid of the spotlight whereas I feel like a guy like yeah, I don't want to. I don't want to rag on Leo Owusu, but like it was, he's a bit of a slower burn. He's a little, little on the shyer side at times, and it took him a while to adjust. We saw some really good things at the end of last year, and hopefully we'll see even more this year. But Caicedo does kind of. I guess he's probably in, you know, in Colombia is used to being the center of attention a little bit, and you can kind of tell that he's comfortable with that and he's okay with it. So I, I like that going forward. Well, throwing that back at you, Sam, do, do you think it do you think it helps Caicedo that he's had a guy like Christian Dahomey who's almost been like an yes, uncle? Yes, absolutely. Just... Of course, it does. Well, no, it's it, it's just worth throwing out there. You know, I yeah. mean, it helps you moving from a new country to a new team. You've got a guy who did the exact same journey yeah. last year. It's it, it, same position. It's just there's so much. I, I feel like that's an underrated aspect. It, it also helps that he had like. He, he was aware of this move for three or four months before it finally got across the finish line. So you have all this time to kind of mentally prepare yourself and chat with a guy like Dahomey and meet new teammates virtually because that's a lot of what was happening anyways. Like he, he had this great opportunity to feel relatively integrated before he even showed up. So I'm sure that was super helpful as well. Whereas a guy like Awusu or Bakel or Ranko, they just showed up like a couple weeks before the season started. And it's like, all right, welcome to the team, bud. You know, ho- here we go. Hope for the best. Yeah, well, that's it. But I think moving on, we'll, we'll finish off the positional talk. Al- Alex doesn't like my Awusu slander. I'm not accepting any Awusu <laughs> slander. I am not accepting it. He's a forgotten man and he he... he... If the Whitecaps don't unlock his full potential, that'll be a you're gonna be livid. I'm I'm full on the Awusu train, but striker, striker, striker. I mean, boy, you got Lucas Cavallini. He's your guy. He's your DP. You spend six million dollars on him. He's playing every game unless you know unless he's got like a broken or two broken legs and he can't walk around anymore. That's fair. You got a guy like Theo Bear. You you know, good prospect. You need to get him at least. I feel like I say at least a thousand minutes. That just feels criminally low. That's like 11 start, like 11 full games. That feels criminally low for him. So like 1500 minutes, at least for Theo bear. I don't care if you have, I'm to- scared though. Cause that a thousand minutes almost feels like best case scenario sometimes. Right? Like, like it's, it shouldn't it- be, but it's, it feels like it could be trending that way. And then to St. Ricketts, super sub galore, five subs in MLS this year, which is good news for a guy like to St. Ricketts. Hopefully we see a lot of him 
off of the bench. And heck, he can always give you a shift when he starts. He's probably one of the best, if not the best, presser of the ball. And Wing, the winger depth as well. Mark's used him as that position. So um, that's not the ideal answer on the wing, but someone that can fill in in that spot if need be. And then the guy, David Egbo, he's one that I'm like, I'm, I'm really fascinated about because he's, I find that he's really either highly rated or not really rated at all. I've seen guys who are rate, rate Egbo as the second best striker on the Whitecaps already because I the guess the best I, player to ever come out of Akron, which is an insane statement. Darling Nagby might want to have a word with that. <laughs> Some of the other countless Akron players that they've produced, but his coach, it's his coach that said that I'm yeah. pretty sure he's just wild to think, you know, MLS certainly backs. I had some guy on Twitter tell me that he thinks David Egbo is going to be ahead of Theo bear by the summer. I'm certainly going to revisit that prediction, hot take qualm, whatever you want to call it. Yes. Screenshot in, that one for sure. In a few months, because that's just absolutely wild. But either way, I think that's a good group. If you're the white caps, you compare that, to two years ago when they, they just rushed in to bring in the man, the myth, the legend of Joaquin Ardais and Freddie Montero. Just looking now, you got a guy like Theo Bears, his third pro season. He's ready for a breakout. He just needs he needs minutes and he needs service. You got a guy like Lucas Cavallini. He doesn't really even need service to score goals. He just needs his his head to be screwed on right and have, have you know be confident. Or, or not playing Bermuda. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, maybe play the Cayman Islands, but just he needs for him. It's a confidence thing with Cavallini for sure. A hundred percent. And then a guy, guys like to St. Rick, it's David Egbo. I think it's a good position for the Whitecaps. And again, it hasn't really been an issue before. I think even when Montero was there, Ardais didn't matter who they were putting up there. The issue was service. So just looking at this year, well, I'll throw it to you, Peter. Good striker group, yes. Do you think they're going to get the service you'd you'd need a group like that to get? I will. I really hope they do because I mean, as you say, like you said, Cavallini, you know, should be the starter. But I mean, one of the things about Cavallini is Canada has a packed schedule this year. And I remember they joked about it on DeSantos joked about it with somebody at one, or they mentioned it on One Soccer how he joked to Cavallini that um, he'll probably play more games for Canada this year than the Whitecaps. And if that's the case, and that's that's gonna. You're, we really hope the service is there because, as much as I think guys like Bear and Egbo, um, I've got a lot to prove. They might rely on the service more than a veteran like Kava and Ricketts too. I mean, what's his role going to be? He could see a lot more minutes than maybe he would have thought. Yeah, that's it. It's the. It's a good point for the service because guys like Bear can finish, and he just didn't get the ball last year. You, you know, I, I assume a guy like Egbo seeing his highlight reel. He seemed to score in college. He doesn't seem like his issue is finishing. It seems like, again, it's just going to be the age-old issue. Is there enough service? And I, I do wonder where it comes from. I think Adnan is going to have to play a big role in that. I think Gaspar is a forgotten man in that equation. Kyle Alexandre, Michael Baldissimo, those four are going to be really the four creators. But I definitely think if you're looking at the striker group, it's a good striker group. Yes, I think, honestly, it's almost smart in a way that they've cleared out a guy like Freddie Montero. Not, again, Freddie Montero, probably if he was here still, last year he was. He's the best guy in the box on the Whitecaps. He has the most quality in the box, no doubt. But he was making a lot of money. You know, you kind of have to alter your system to play around him. You got guys like Cavallini, Bear, Ricketts, Agbo. What do these guys have in common? They can press. They can, you know, they, they can build up play. They're kind of more of a modern number nine and the white caps need to play with that system so for them it's can you get them the ball can you, can you get them the ball and 
I don't know if I how confident I am in that yet. A guy like Cavallini straight up said, I play my best with the number 10. Well, you don't have a number 10, so I don't know what to tell to you, Cavallini. But uh, at least hopefully they can – someone like Cavallini can profit off crosses like Adnan and, and Gaspar and get through balls from Alexandria and Baldissimo. Because if not, it could be a long season for him again. I guess, yeah, I'll, I'll round out with my thoughts on the strikers. Cava. It was an up-and-down year. He wasn't at his best, but still produced at a decent rate. And I think that goes to show the quality. And so even if the amount of games he plays for the Whitecaps is relatively small in comparison to a normal full season because of all the Canadian commitments, I'm expecting a an improved goal output and a, and a pretty impressive one in his time. He's, you know, he's got a lot, and with Gaspar, with Adnan, with some better midfielders, even without a number 10, I think there's there's the opportunity for more quality service. And then when I look down the depth chart, the only way that I'm going to be hyped about a Brexit 442 is if As we, we get, like to call it is if we get to see David Egbo and Theo Bear up top together like dual aerial threats. That would be Ow. sick. I'm I'm like I'm never down for the 442 other than in that circumstance where <laughs> that would have my full attention. So uh I don't know, uh, you know, Mark if you're listening, keep that one in mind. That's it. It's like we said last show. If you're going to play a 442, don't play, you know, like lean into it, right? If you're going to play a 442, don't play Cavallini paired with the, you know, a Caicedo up top or a Ryan Raposo. At that point, you play a 4231, you play a 433. If you want to play a 442, you got to lean into the 442. <laughs> you got to put two of Egbo, Cavallini, and Bear, scare the living hell out of the defenders, really, for a lack of a better, your better way to put it. If you're two center backs, do you want to look up at see Theo Bear and Lucas Kelly just running at you every time the ball's put in the box? No. So I, I think you, you bring up a good point. But, you know, 4-4-2 or 4-3-3 aside, I'm not as worried again about the strikers. It's a position much like the defenders, much like the fullbacks, a common theme. It just depends. Can the midfielders get them the ball? Can they progress the ball up the field? But Again, I do feel confidence that if they get the ball, they'll score. And I, again, I feel like a guy like Cavallini, he's shown to be good enough to, even without the ball, he can still make things happen, which is always a nice skill to see from strikers. I just throw out too, it's it's worth keeping in mind that if you're, Mark does seem to love that kind of false nine, like play off the central striker, off the shoulder type guy. Ryan Raposo is someone that, at Syracuse and at certain times has played more centrally in those kinds of positions. So if if you're deep down the depth chart, you've got injuries at some point, that's something that could be played around with as well. Not necessarily, he's not going to be an out-and-out striker, but just something worth considering. Well, I guess moving on, we'll move to the second part. This isn't going to be very long when we're looking at just kind of the whole schedule, snafu, etc. Might the Caps return to Vancouver? Seems like it. I feel like if three months ago, I probably wouldn't put any money on it. Now I'd certainly be comfortable maybe wagering a little bit of money that they might play a game, at least in BC plays, possibly 10 or 10 or more. But uh, then after that, we'll, we'll dive into predictions. It, it wouldn't be the third sub if we didn't go into predictions that will make us look bad in five months. But just looking at the schedule, Utah. So far, I am actually liking the whole Utah situation, especially versus Portland. It just seems so much better. They're living in, in, in houses. They got their families there, which is huge for a guy like, say, Dahomey, who was away from his wife and kids for like seven, eight months last year. Now, just to have them 
all together. I feel like that's going to help a guy like Dahomey get the most out of his game. Obviously, just Utah, the fact that they're training on grass, playing on grass is always a nice bonus, something that we don't even get in BC. So that's also a plus. I mean, I guess I'll, I'll throw it to you, Peter, again to start. Versus, if you're looking at Utah versus Portland last year, you have to think this is an upgrade, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, well, for starters, the, I think the training facilities and exactly like the kind of housing infrastructure they have in Utah is much better than the situation they had in Portland. I mean, hell, Portland was like a bit of a war zone last year anyway, the time they were there with political issues. Um, but on top of that, I mean, Utah is also a great place to have as your as your home stadium. As you said, it's grass. Portland was turf. Um, on top of that, Utah's at altitude, which is a difficult adjustment at first, but it is you know, undeniably an advantage that teams like Utah and Colorado are the only teams in the league that have had that advantage for a while, so it's not a bad place to park yourself. But otherwise, yeah, I think it's uh, definitely better than Portland, and it will remain to be seen how long they're there. Well, it's the altitude part that brings a good point. Do you think that actually helps them when they return to Vancouver, knowing that they've trained three to four months at altitude? Because I'm pretty sure it helps your lungs long-term. It helps your oxygen capacity to have to operate like that. Do you think that might even help them for the rest of the year? Yeah, I think it could totally have a... I mean, I think it'll be it'll be most evident when they're hosting teams and then teams have to come here having not really... having only really maybe 48 hours tops to adjust the altitude. But, I mean, you make a good point. When they when they've been used to training at that at that altitude and how much harder that is for your body it's it'll definitely be easier probably getting to vancouver where you're at sea level yeah i guess i'll just add to that i i lived in denver for a year and so definitely <laughs> while everywhere <laughs> while, while you're there it does people that are coming into that environment like it, it, it's is whoa it makes a big difference that being said, I think on the return to Vancouver, like your body's going to come down back down to earth, so to speak, after a week or two. So you might get a, that a little initial bump, but pretty soon when you get used to training in, you know, sea level environment again, it's it's going to your body's going to reacclimatize and you're going to kind of go back to that to that level, but you're still going to have all that kind of, you know, built up intensity from training. So it's, you know, you're not going to get the cardio boost like a month later in Vancouver, but you are going to have all those positive training sessions built up from the last three or four months, if that makes sense. So yeah, underrated sense. fact, like it's not going to hurt the white caps. It's yeah. certainly, it can only help in that sense. In terms of the Utah setup, I mean, I think especially for the new players, like a guy like David Egbo, for example, like who cares if like, really, this is He's no, di guy, this is no different than showing up in Vancouver with a couple bags and moving into a new apartment, right? It's well, really it's only the guys, guys, it's the guys with families where it's more, more of a challenge and they've dealt with that. It's not perfect, but it's at least a lot better this year. So I think it's, it's much closer to the way like most, a lot of MLS players are living anyway. So I think that you've gone from maybe a, a massive disadvantage last year to, a very minor one this year uh, so I, I i'm i'm pretty confident with how the the white caps have this set up and i don't i don't want to be hearing too many sob stories from um from media press conferences this year because i don't think there should be too many excuses well it's just you, you mentioned that guys who were brought in david egbo he's straight out of college uh javane brown straight out of college i mean again i don't know what their personal life status is if they have family that they're bringing along but I, it doesn't appear so ditto with kyle alexandre well, it's, it's three months too so it's not like some you know, 
indeterminate mm-hmm. amount of time that's insurmountable in some way. Yeah, like from what I've seen, it doesn't seem like either of Bruno Gaspar, Kyle Alexandre, Diver Caicedo, any of the new guys except maybe Evan Newton. It doesn't seem like they have, you know, kids or, or you and, know. And half your matches are on the road anyway. So it's like you're spending a significant amount of time away already, even if the matches were at home. Well, it's just, yeah, it's not, say, like a situation like Dahomey, who's got three yeah. kids. And they obviously mean a lot to him. It does, you know, it, it makes a difference when you're bringing in some younger players who, who aren't really thinking about that. They can just kind of okay, you know, I don't have, is my family okay? Am I going to see my family? That's not on their minds. They can kind of focus on, on on playing and living. And that makes a big difference. And obviously the Utah aspect helps for guys like with kids. Just think of a guy like Lucas Cavallini, obviously, you know, his kids and having his kids and wife close to him means a lot. And that's why he skipped out on MLS's back. I do not blame him one bit for, for doing so. It's if any player is feeling that way, I, again, I'd fully support the decision to do that. So it's good that the Whitecaps are, finding a way to accommodate them but maybe returning to the schedule it's we mentioned them having an advantage but the fact they only play four games in salt lake anyway so i think they play most of their games away does the fact that they if and when they return to vancouver i say if we penciled in a july return i feel like that'd be safe to say even if it's without fans for the first few games just surely the borders are going to be open by then is the fact that they're going to be playing at BC Place a lot in the back end of the season help or hinder them, you think? Well, I don't know. With that turf, like, is that an advantage for anyone? It's been, what, six and a half, seven years since it's been replaced? I mean, I, I don't know. But but I think what is an advantage, jokes aside, is a massively back-ended home schedule, especially exactly. given, like, like, if you're going to not have your full-strength roster to start the year— it's probably going to be Strugglesville anyways, just a lot of time on the road, figuring things out, trying to hit the ground running, you know, grind out draws as much as you can in those opening matches. And then when you have your full squad, maybe heck, you even have a number 10. Now you've got all of these home <laughs> matches and an amount of consistency. I could see a very Seattle-esque kind of struggle for, through the first half of the year, just get by and then pick up steam like a runaway freight train in the second half of the year. That's a, If you're Axel Schuster and Mark Dos Santos, that kind of has to be the platform for success that you're looking at. So, yeah, I think it could be helpful. It's, yeah, you know, yeah. only time will tell. But that's, that's best-case scenario, kind of how I see it going. Yeah, I'm just thinking of D.C. United in 2018, and when they played, I think, two games, two or three games in, like, kind of stadiums around the D.C. area, and then they moved it in July, and they just had the most backlogged home schedule ever. But they ended up making the playoffs from being like last in the league or like tenth or something for most for that first half of the season. So I mean, yeah, hopefully, I just I just hope that there's not too much uncertainty around the transition with regard to when they're going to be able to return. Because if the if the club is going to have to stay put in Utah for a long time based on the border or whatever's happening at home, hopefully it's not so much of. Uh, we might need we might leave next week we might leave a week after that or whatever right like the players especially the ones with families you know they want they want to be somewhat settled but it's also this time you know going down to the united states is actually a blessing and compared to last time where they're now the situation down there with COVID is a lot more stable than it is in canada that's it and i think the biggest point maybe just out of all of these it's the travel i think no matter what your home facility is like obviously you're used to playing on at home obviously the white caps are gonna get used to playing at bc place on the turf but just the fact especially vancouver always has to log the most miles in travel 
anyway. So the fact that they're going to have periods where I think it's something like 10 of their last 17 games are at home or something like that, just not moving around that much helps. You just get to stay, you get to train, you get to adjust. I think it's going to, it's going to be huge for them. And I think that's probably the biggest factor, even if they're in Utah, heck if they had to stay till Utah until November, the fact that for whatever, you know, they, the, the back ended schedule can only help them but maybe unless you guys have any other things to add on travel or whatnot should we get into the fun stuff sam i i think so yeah i don't i won't want to play i don't want to play big media too much and you know talk about covid and the challenges of moving away from home let's just let's stick to the fun stuff and you know we'll when that stuff needs to get sorted out hopefully the right people can make the right decisions and and we get there at the end of the day but yeah let's do some predictions i'm ready well, first, I mean, I don't know. You guys can decide who goes first. Let's look at some, you know, some. we'll start with the top goal scorer on the Vancouver Whitecaps this year. I feel like it'd be a pretty easy choice. You know, you go for a certain man wearing number nine who may or may not have cost around $6 million. Could be hipster and go for some other players, but how about this? I'll put top goal scorer and how many, around how many goals you think he'll get. Sam, I'll throw it to you first. Yeah, I'm going to go boring. I'm going to go chalk. It's going to be Cava, and it's going to be 11 to 13. Okay. You don't want to settle on a number by chance? just for. Oh, you want, you want me? Okay, I'm going to pick 13 then. I'm going to go high end. I, I think Cava takes a big step up this year, even if it's in a limited amount of matches. Uh, we will return to these, by the way. So uh. Bring it on. <laughs> Right, I, al- I also awesome. already made this prediction on 86 Forever's YouTube stuff, so like I'm kind of committed at this point. Yeah, you have to stand by it. Yeah. So. Yeah, I'm gonna say I, I was gonna say Cav as well, and I was actually thinking 13, but I I'll go to I'll go to I'll go to 11 because I think I think he might miss a lot of games. With yeah, Canada. And that's that, that's the uh, risk it's, it's certainly. Basically, it's basically gonna be whether he gets like you know like a hat trick against Houston or something that racks that tally up a little bit. Well, that's it. You're tempting me to like go completely in the weeds just because like. <laughs> Again, the international something like Dahomey with eight or nine or something like that. But the thing is, I'm pretty sure Cavallini's only supposed to miss five or six games with the international. I guess he may as well just add one or two for suspension because it is Lucas Cavallini. <laughs> yeah, you forget about that from time to time. So, like, I, I guess I can't really go anywhere else but with Cavallini. And you said 11, 13, I'll say 12. I guess there's no reason. It's just I'd want to say Theo Bear with like 10. But again, is he going to get enough minutes? I don't know. Maybe that'll be my second my second place choice. Will be like if I had to make a top three, Cavallini with twelve, you know, maybe someone like Dahomey with eight, and then Bear with seven. But we'll, I'll, I could be proven wrong on that completely. It's just tough to know who's going to get what minutes, what the situation is going to be like. But this one at least is going to have a little more diversity in answers. I hope the top assist man, and who. Uh, adding to that, not only who, how many assists, Peter. I'll let you go first on this one. I'll put you on the spot. I, I am gonna go with. I'm gonna go with the new arrival. This might be a bit of a bold choice, but I'm gonna say it's gonna be Kyle Alexander. I think he's gonna get seven assists. Wow, I like that. I like that a That's lot. That's bold. That's bold. Yeah. Okay. Well, well I, yeah, I'll go for it. Uh, maybe, maybe a little more boring, but I'm, I'm going for, I guess, an aggressive prediction total. Uh, it's going to be Dahomey, so I don't think that's necessarily a surprise. But I'm going ten assists. He's going to hit double digits in assists this year. I I'm buying the way he played at the end of last year. I'm also buying the fact that he has someone a little more balanced to offset on the other wing. 
Everyone knows on this podcast, I was a fan of David Milinkovic, but they didn't. As I was too. They didn't offset <laughs> yeah, each other. Well. They didn't offset each other. Like there wasn't that symmetry, and so I think that symmetry, a guy who's out and out a little more pacey as a threat on the opposite wing will just open things up. And uh, so yeah, I'm psyched for that Dahomey Cavallini connection, and and so I'm I'm putting a lot of my predictions so far, at least, into that. Well, I am gonna go with the one and only the best player himself Ali Adnan with nine assists I don't I'm leaning into it he <laughs> with he he I think he had something like six or seven assists last year it's worth forgetting that Ali Adnan is he, he can create chances he takes set pieces he can get up the wing I'm gonna go with Ali Adnan just because the way the Whitecaps are gonna play if I'm not seeing him trucking up the left wing every at every opportunity, I'm going to be disappointed. So I'd have to say Adnan with nine. I'm going to back back him for that. I mean, again, that's not not much else to say for that. There's a lot of good candidates. I would back a Bruno Gaspar guess, for example, just as an underrated shout. Obviously, Michael Baldissimo will probably find a way to sneak five or so assists. And it's just, yeah, it's worth noting with the guys like Cavalini and Dahomey. And Dahomey had three assists, uh, or not Cavalini, sorry, Adnan. He had six or seven. That was over 20 games. They, they played a shortened schedule last year. So. Adnan had four assists last year. Well, I'd be proven. Is, is, what, what, just curious, where's the source on that it's one? Transfer market, and that's including MLS's back, three during the regular season and one during MLS's back. Well, then we'll have to pr- be precise then because it's worth noting with MLS, it's secondary assists are included so are oh, we inc- okay so this transfer market might be only primary no, it's assists. it's only primary assists okay. on transfer market it is so i don't know well we, i i think I, primary assists are I think primary the ones assists. that count no, primary are the ones that count but for yeah. the prediction are we going for primary oh I'm, yeah no primary for sure i'd say i'll say and then with i'll stick with nine but okay. realistically it'd probably be eight for and then but uh yeah. Okay. Interesting. Nine for Dahomey. You said ten. I said ten for Dahomey. Said ten. Double digits. Yeah. yeah. If, if if Dahomey gets double digits assists, I will buy you a beer. If he All gets right. double ten pri- primary assists, I'll second that. I'll Looking second forward that. to it. Looking forward to it. Like that is bold. That is bold. And <laughs> you got to have some fun with it, right? Yeah. I mean, heck, I'm I'm certainly impressed with the the confidence there. But this one's a little more interesting, a little more nuanced. Who do you think is going to be the top minutes man on the Whitecaps? Because where do you start? A guy like Cavallini, who would play every game and seem to be fit enough, he's probably going to get a suspension. He's going to leave for international duty. Ditto with Max Crepeau, the goalkeeper, which is always an easy shout. The Whitecap center backs haven't always been healthy. Is there a really guy you could trust to be the top minute, top minutes man? I don't know. So I guess I'll, I'll throw it to you, Sam. Do you have a name for tops minutes man? Or are you just going to close your eyes and throw a dart at the dartboard kind of vibes? Oh, no. I, I have a name, and it's the exact same name I just talked about. It's Christian Dahomey. He was the That's he true. was the most consistent guy for the Whitecaps I'm, I'm last year. I'm pretty sure year. he was the minutes man last year as well. Indeed. And as we've talked about in the show, trended in the right direction. You know, if you're trying to play that kind of big picture, he's got his family with him. He's got the extra motivation. So, yeah, I'm, I'm not going too far off the board. It's just run it back. Dahomey's going to be the top minute man again. I can't disagree with you. I think it's going to be – it's got to be Dahomey too. Because I think you look, at, you look at the wingers, which is the area yeah, – They also can't afford to have other guys play a bunch. So, And other than Dahomey, it's Caicedo, but he's so young they're probably going to ease him into it. So it's, I think it's got to be Dahomey. Well, I'm going to go Janio Bikel. I think he's healthy this year. He could see some time with Guinea-Bissau. I'm not whole sh- sure what his international status is. Doesn't sound like 
maybe he gets some minutes for them. I don't know. But I, aside from that, that's my only concern with him. He's probably going to play every game. I'd what have what about discipline? That's something that for minutes it does matter as well, right? And that's a, that's a plus in Dahomey's category is that he's not likely to take a lot of fouls. Yeah, but also... Mikel, I mean, on the other hand, start of last year at least. He, he improved hey. that area a lot. Well, he's going to adjust to the referees in MLS. And I mean, to be fair, the one red card he picked up last year was just more of a circumstance of just, yeah, yeah. it was, it was, it wasn't exactly a, re- he, he basically, he didn't really strike me as a particularly dirty no. player. It's just more the position he played and he got unlucky really with that stamp for that red card he did get. I don't think it'll be too much of an issue. I mean, I guess you're right. Dahomey is such a clean player where you worry, but I just think if Bakel gets a yellow card accumulation in there or, even a one game ban for a red card. I think the fact that Dahomey might be subbed off more often because that will offset it because Mark DeSantos, yeah, you're going to use your, your five that's subs. Fair. There might be a little more movement on that front. Heck, he might not even be shy to, he might be more, you know, if a guy like Dahomey is doing a lot of running, he might be more willing to rotate. But then again, there's so much options, so many options in the midfield. So I am taking a bit of a risk with Bikel. You know, it evens itself out. But this one, I don't know. I, I guess this one's an interesting one because, like, how do you lean into it? MVP. I, I I don't have much to say on the explanations because it's like, first of all, it's like, what do you view as an MVP? Where, where do you think that position is going to come for? So, Peter, do you have a, a name for MVP? I don't have a name, but I have a position. I think it's going to be I think it's going to be the number ten that's going to arrive in the summer because I, I that's kind of been a bit of a trend around the league right now is a lot of clubs are waiting given how the transfer market is right now with COVID to wait until the summer to buy. I think that if, if Axel Schuster is as adamant as he claims he is about getting the number 10 in the summer, I think it's going to have a Nico Ladero like effect on this team and it's going to, it's going to take it up to the next level. Well, just to be offer a bit of insurance because it's the white caps and it's the white caps. There's really not much else to explain. Might you want to offer a backup solution just in case we don't see another? Yeah, time? that's fair enough. Uh, I'm going to go with Kyle Alexander again as an MVP player. I think if he, uh, just because I don't, I don't know if, um, I mean, as I said, I thought that Bikel was the most important position. But when you kind of describe an MVP, especially in MLS, it seems to tend to be a bit more attacking wise. So I think it's going to be a guy like at the very, Probably Alexander at the uh, as my backup. Okay, I guess Sam, I'll, I'll let you throw uh, before I come in. Yeah. So MVP, I think, as much as thinking about the players, you have to ask yourself, well, what kind of team is this Vancouver Whitecaps team going to be? And based on that, who would then stand out as the most valuable player? But without giving away too much of kind of my standings prediction. I'm going back to the well again. I mean, if he's going to have double-digit assists, it's going to be Christian Dahomey. If he's the top minutes, man, it's going to be Christian Dahomey. May as well send him the All-Star game at this rate. You know, I mean, double-digit assists, most valuable player. Heck, why not? But I I think that the Whitecaps are going to be this kind of structurally sound team that plays, lives life without a number 10 and attacks in wide areas, breaks on the counter, and he fits into that. He He's the kind of guy that's going to profit from that system. So with my lack of faith in the ability to integrate a number 10 really successfully right away, with my lack of faith in the center backs to stay healthy all year, um, I, I think that I'd pick someone like Michael Valdissimo or Kyle Alexandra if I thought that the Whitecaps would be a good team from the outset. 
if they were just rock solid all year and someone like Baldy could just be a stalwart in midfield the entire season and have total stability, then I can see the opportunity for them to be like a, a competitive playoff team with a couple of really solid performers and you pick one of those guys. But I feel like the Whitecaps might be a little more high event than that. And that's why I'm going with a winger. It's interesting. I'm surprised none of you guys picked Cavallini because the thing is, I'm not going to pick Cavallini. I was hoping one of you guys would, so we didn't leave him off the MVP list, but cause he strikes me as a guy who can carry a team on his back. And I feel like he, He's one of those strikers, again, he doesn't need much service. He does need service to score a lot of goals, but he doesn't need as much service to like to get by. So I definitely think he could be an MVP. It feels criminal to leave off Eric Godoy, but maybe I'll have him in the next category. They'll sneak peek at that. But I'm going to go Max Crepo. I just think the Whitecaps, again, the way they play, sometimes it might be a little helter-skelter at the back. They might, you know, things might open up a bit. Just we're gonna forget we forgot how good a guy like Max Crepo is. I feel like that's kind of the consensus. And again, a guy like Thomas Hassall is gonna play a big role. He's gonna when he plays, he's gonna help the team. It's just a guy like Max Crepo, for whatever reason, he fits so well in the style of the Whitecaps played and in, in terms of his ball at the feet, in terms of making saves. I just think a guy like Crepo, if he does poorly, the Whitecaps are gonna do poorly. If he does well, the Whitecaps are gonna do well. And for me, that's that has to be an MVP candidate, right? Yeah, no, it's I true. Can't I can't mean, argue with that. So I mean, yeah. <laughs> if, again, it feels criminal to leave heck even a guy like, well, maybe maybe not Ali Anand. He did win last year, but you know, guys like Godoy, Cavallini, it feels like it'd be hard to to leave them off. But but I think it's the questions there are durability and mm-hmm. someone who's not going to be with the squad the entire season. I, again, I you know I think we're maybe maybe overplaying slightly the amount of time Cav yeah. is going to mix, but it's just these are factors that that play in, right? Yeah, when I think a guy like Janio Bikel as well, but maybe again, <laughs> next award, without further ado, really, unsung hero. We'll, we'll go into it because I feel like this is maybe some of the forgotten MVP candidates. It, you know, in 2019, it was Godoy who was the unsung hero. I think last year was Jake Nowinski. Both great shouts. Godoy was a little more predictable. Who would have seen someone like Jake Nowinski winning unsung last year? I, I didn't. And it was a deserved victory, really. It wasn't like a, a surprise victory or, you know, Ali Adnan winning the votes because he has the best fans in MLS. No, Jake Nowinski deserved unsung hero. So going into this year, I'll throw it to you, Sam. Who do you have as your unsung hero? Yeah, I'm maybe going a little bit further down the depth chart than most. I think this is kind of, it's very contingent on certain forces aligning and like potentially guys being injured or you know, unforeseen circumstances happening. But the two names that I look at are Patrick Metcalf and Christian Gutierrez. Because I think if either of those guys, if they're able to get the opportunity and seize a role, they could really do something with it. We saw lots of positives from Metcalf at the Olympic qualifiers. I think he's hopefully, I, I think ideally really, if he could go to the CPL this year, that would probably be for the best, but I think the Whitecaps want him as depth, so he, he feels kind of likely to stay around. And then Gutierrez, he's probably going to get that opportunity to start the year. So I think if, given that I'm going to have to pick one here, I'm going to go with Guti because I feel like there's the opportunity for him to seize something if that means Adnan goes up to the mid position at times, if Adnan's injured, if, you know, whatever happens, he gets that opportunity. I feel like he could seize it and do something with it. But I want, I want to give a big shout out to Patrick Metcalf as well. 
it would take a little bit more maybe for Pat to get into the lineup, but another guy that I think we could we could turn around at the end of the year and go, wow, didn't see that coming, but he really took a step forward. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I meant to mention Matt Cap when we were going for the midfield because, I mean, he had a good showing at the U-20s. I thought him and Baldissimo were really one of the things that held that team together. They did a really good job in the midfield of both cleaning up sloppy defensive work, but also also, you know, moving the ball up the field. Like I remember on, I forget if it was Buchanan's first or second. It was the, the opening goal where Pat made a, made a really nice run. Yeah. Yeah. It was the opening goal for Buchanan where yeah he made a really nice run and just pinged it through behind. So yeah, I, I, I wasn't going to put, I wasn't going to put Matt Cap in there, but I was going to put Baldissimo as my unsung hero. Cause I think that, I think that he's, it's so hard to answer this question because there's just so many question marks. With and like, team, what is right? unsung too? It's, it's very in the eye mm-hmm. of the beholder in that sense. Yeah. Well, it's certainly a role where it's like, that's why you can give a good player an unsung hero, but I feel like certainly offensive players don't tend to win this award unless you're maybe say a Dahomey last year could have certainly been an unsung shout just because his roles are understated, but it's just for someone like Cavallini that eliminates him right away. Again, guys like, it's about Correct. reputation as well and what the expectation level is, which is something that's very biased and everyone has a different level, right? So I think it, for me, it has to be Daniel Bikel. Again, to go from earlier, a guy, I'd pick a guy like Eric Godoy, but I feel like he's starting to become a known commodity, like you say. A guy like, if I go for a guy like Jake Nowitzki, how much is he going to play? A guy like Gutierrez, how much is he going to play? Well, I feel like a guy like Daniel Bikel just going back to the fact that MLS, none of their predicted lineups have him starting, even though if you go off of stats, he was in the top 10 percentile for, for most, you know, defensive stats that are important for a player of his position. I feel like he's massively slept on. So I guess I, I just have to go for Janio Bikel. And I, I feel like, yeah, unsung, it really varies for me. It's kind of like maybe player that doesn't really get his dues kind of player. So it could be a bench player last year there's guys off of the bench who maybe didn't get the dues that they deserved. So uh, it, it's a very good position, but I surely have to go with Daniel Bikel. But moving on, we're reaching the second last, third, third last, unless there's any more that Sam or Peter want to throw at me after, throw at us after. Might, another one might come up as I'm speaking here, but I'll throw this one to Peter first. New arrival of the year. So you don't have much to pick for this year. You, could, you did this in 2019. You have the whole roster to choose for. But this year, you have six players to choose for a new arrival of the year. Yeah, I think that I'd, you know, going on my MVP prediction, some of my bold assumptions that the Whitecaps will finally complete their conquest to sign number 10. <laughs> I'll step aside from that for now because, again, that's, uh, that's not guaranteed. I think that in terms of the ability to transform, or just in terms of, like, points and how important this player is going to be for the team, I am very excited for... I'm torn between Kyle Alexander and Bruno Gaspar, but I've said Alexander a few times before this. I'm really interested to see what Gaspar brings to this team because I think he provides a, he provides everything offensively that a guy like Adnan has done, but I think he's also a lot more tidy at the back. And especially if you know, if especially if Adnan is the starter at left back or if Gutierrez there, having a guy like Gaspar who can go both ways but also isn't going to be as much of a liability for you could be really important when we're not sure about the center back so the left back and it's really only Kripo that's a, a lockdown presence on that back line interesting one interesting I'll hop in right away I think Gaspar is certainly one I would have liked to go for and 
maybe I, he, he's certainly up there. I'm going to go Dyber Caicedo just because what the Whitecaps need on the wing, he's going to, if a guy like Gaspar doesn't integrate right away, you have Jake Nerwinski as kind of the fallback. A guy like Dyber Caicedo, he's going to have to be forced to sink or swim. And I think just having, you know, knowing that, I think with Dahomey dragging him along or not dragging him along, but helping him along, I think he's going to swim. I feel like he's kind of set up in a position where he's, yes, he's getting thrown into the deep end, but he has the support around him. And even with the guy like Gaspar, having that support around him might just see DeSantos ease him in. And again, that doesn't really change anything. But I just think for what the Whitecaps need, their winger depth, their whole situation, that just makes for me Caicedo, my newcomer of the year. But Sam, to round it off. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to run it back and, and go with the same guy as, as Peter, which is Bruno Gaspar. And I won't, I won't regurgitate too much of what Peter said, but I think there's two main reasons. One, fullback position I think is a little bit more plug-and-play, easy to integrate, hit the ground running. Secondarily, I think that his resume, his you know older age and experience, just it, it'll be a little more seamless than the other guys. And so it's not a terribly exciting reason to predict someone, but I also do think he offers a lot. So uh, it just it seems like a guy that's going to be plug-and-play. At least certainly that's the hope. So that's going to be my pick there. Yeah, and he seems like he really wants to be here, too. Like from everything he said to the media, I'm very enthusiastic for what he's going to bring. Hasn't played a ton the last couple of years. I think we'll be really excited to be a regular starter and, and get lots of opportunities. Exactly. But this one's the fun one, really. I mean, this is the best one, really. My favorite award, personally. The Robert third, Earnshaw third, third Sub of the Year Award. Yep, I forgot that we renamed it the Robert Earnshaw Third. So we're going to have to get some of the names back dusted off. I forgot some of them. But the Robert Earnshaw Third Sub of the Year Award, dutifully held by Ryan Raposo last year. Loyal servant to the Third Sub cause. Always coming on late in games. Never really got a proper run. This is a tough award to project because it's like, first of all, who's going to be the guy coming off the bench late in games often? Kind of that 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 third sub as, as it's named. Or fifth sub this year. Yeah, third to fifth sub this year. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm pers- I think I've got a few names so far off my head, off the top of my head. It's certainly going to be tough to read Dos Santos's mind, but maybe Sam, do you, do you feel like you have any names right off the start? Or you... Oh yeah, I do run it back, baby. It's going to be Ryan Raposo again. Oh, no, not a, not I again. don't want it for him. Like I cannot emphasize how much I don't want to be the guy making this prediction, but the lack of winger depth, you know, just the, the sense I get from DeSantos plus his positional versatility, which is a positive. You can plug him in in a number of spots he just he sits in that spot where he's he's required depth for the first team right now, but he's also no not quite good enough to be a regular starter. So he's just he's always going to be that 15, 20, 10 minute guy off the bench. So sorry, Ryan, I want better for you, but you're going to be a two time third sub of the year winner. Well, I won't, I won't, I won't, yeah, I have didn't, didn't have any choice in the last pick, but I won't pick Ryder Posa again. Um, I, I'm going to go with Ricketts because I think that, uh, I think of guys that really are locked down as a sub guy, I think it's going to be Ricketts, but I also think that he's got a lot to prove this year. I remember he talked in an interview to AFDN earlier this year about how he hoped to be involved. He's still, he's like a couple goals away from a record for, from the Canadian national team goal scoring. He also still wants. To, I mean, he was very good last year in the few minutes that, the few minutes that he got, and I think that he's got a lot to prove. 
Those are two great shouts. For me, I'm, oh, I'm struggling between a few names. Patrick Metcalf is unfortunately one of them. I feel like he's the kind of guy that DeSantos will trust more, but he's going to really Still put, not enough, yeah. The, the, put yeah. the, kitty, the kitty gloves on. And then in terms of a fun pick, I'm, I'm thinking of a guy like Leonard Owusu straight up as, as much as it pains me to say. I think <laughs> a guy like DeSantos will like, we'll just throw give him 35 minutes each game off the bench. And, and, and that, that, could, that could be all he needs to win a third sub award. So I'm going to go Patrick Metcalf just because it pains me to say Leonard Owusu is the third sub. But to be fair, it pains me to say Patrick Metcalf would be the third sub of the year either. There's no fun choice there but in terms of more realistic winners i think patrick metcalf is a great candidate for the third sub of the year and at least in his case that would be progress on his minutes last year unlike the case of ryan Raposo, where you just don't want to see him in the same situation again but hopefully metcalf gets a good burn along the lights of 500 to a thousand minutes but who knows what's going to happen who knows who's going to get injured who knows what's this and that's going to happen it's it's a tough award to project but uh we'll certainly have to revisit that at least at half point of the season 17 games in but i guess on that note that pretty much does it for individual predictions we can finish with a bit of mls predictions just maybe we'll we'll look at the west because the white caps just this year with how the schedule is they only play two eastern teams toronto and montreal the two canadian teams it's a pretty boring schedule in terms of that they just play every team in the west twice and in some cases three times for closer teams and rivals just looking at that, if we're going to go for the West, there's just so, I feel like the West is the good conference this year. If you look one to 13, there's not a lot separating some of those teams, especially in that five to 12 range. I know Peter, you've been doing a lot of, you know, studying of, of the, of the MLS kind of lands Western conference landscape. Do you maybe want to start, maybe we won't do the, the in order doesn't have to be or anything, but just your top seven teams, your seven teams who at the end of the year, you think are going to start the playoffs from the West. Well, when it comes to the West, I'll, I'll preview this with really who I've seen is who's been active in this transfer window. Not necessarily they needed to or not, but who's been active. Uh, I, you know, you look at Minnesota. Minnesota was a really good team last year, and they've now, on top of to their Boca Juniors number 10, they've now got a Juniors number 9, too. So, and they've also added a guy like Will Trapp. So you know, I think they're going to be another really good team again. Portland has brought in a couple of should be starting fullbacks which is going to help them defensively uh kansas has made a couple kind of quiet free agent pickups a guy named remy walter from played in turkey and france before that and a number of french center back Izimet mirin who played for besiktas i believe uh, over either last year or the year before um and then other than that san jose has been quite active too they've they got they traded for remedy from atlanta they brought in kind of a ex-River Plate right back, who's uh, about 30. And they've also got uh, Shofi Lopez from Guadalajara Chivas on loan. So those teams have been good. I still expect, in terms of who I'm going to expect to finish in order from one to seven, I think it's going to be Minnesota at the top of the table, Seattle at second, LAFC third, Kansas in fourth, Portland in fifth, Vancouver in sixth, and RSL at seventh interesting you're buying you're buying high on the vancouver stocks it's certainly it's 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 the white caps stock is so unique because like you said their schedule situation their team the potential of a number 10 it's certainly it's a you bring up a good point with sticking them at the number six because as I'll, maybe i'll go into or sam you can go next 
it's going to be so tight in those those last spots for the playoffs. So it's going to be interesting to see. Kansas, I feel like they're again they're a forgotten group. I, I like that show. Many kind of for me, I agree. Favorites in the West, but Sam, do you kind of maybe have a differing list for the top seven for you? I think that's pretty close. Like in my in my eighty six forever preview, I was talking about how really I didn't expect a a massive, you know, change up to the Western Conference standings other than those five, six, seven spots. It feels like it's going to be a real a real scratch and claw for, for those spots. So, Peter, I wanted to ask you about two clubs that we didn't hear about and weren't on that list of teams making the playoffs, FC Dallas and Colorado. Colorado, obviously, small sample size. Dallas didn't necessarily, it's like more notable losses than additions, but good youth system. So just, I'm curious for your thoughts on those two teams. No, it's a good point, and I really struggled with whether or not uh, whether or not Dallas or RSO is going to take that seventh spot, or maybe higher. But like they would still be, they'd make the playoffs because, as as you say, you know, Dallas liquidated a lot of assets this offseason. Like they traded Fafa Pico, they tra- they traded Barrios to Colorado, and they, of course they sold Brian Reynolds to AS Roma and Serie A. But like then they, you know, Rich, uh, what's Luchi Gonzalez has been really good. I didn't think he and I didn't know who he was before he took over from Oscar Perea and he's done a great job so I definitely don't rule them out of the running Colorado I just don't think they have I don't really know where they're going to pull from like it's, it's like the rosters seemed rather kind of just patched like square pegs and round holes it, it's the like thinnest of margins for Colorado yeah. it's like they, they don't seem to have the depth to sustain like it was surprising that Colorado made the playoffs last year that's all I say and I, I don't I think given that you've got Austin and San Jose and other good teams as well that are going to be in contention. I, I Dallas, I think is definitely a good shout. I I would be, I'd be shocked if Colorado make the playoffs. Yeah, I guess I'll just throw in right away my. I think I would probably have FC Dallas making the playoffs. I'm I'm maybe a little bit higher than most on those guys. And then if the Whitecaps struggle, shout out to San Jose. Shout out to Austin. I mean, it's yeah, it's hard to bet on an expansion team, but I think you know. San Jose and Austin are going to be right. If the way I see it, I think I'd throw FC Dallas into the mix with some of those, you know, I kind of see FC Dallas in the four, five, six range. And then I think Vancouver, San Jose, and Austin are going to be in that battle for the last playoff spot. That's my take at least. But Alex, over to you. Or sorry, Peter, cut you off. Uh, I'm interested to hear what you have to say about Austin, actually. Well, no, I just think Austin's, Austin's a striker and a number eight. Yeah. good players there from being really good and i think they got you know it, it looks looks like it's really promising there but yeah maybe anyway. maybe a year away from being the team they want to be expansion teams are tough though because like I, the margins are so fine that you never know who's going to be a nashville who's going to be miami who's going to be atlanta who's going to be a mini united you know i feel like the the margins are, are so fine with austin so i they could finish second this year i wouldn't be surprised they could finish 13th and i wouldn't be surprised it's like it strikes me as one of those outfits because they've loaded up on mls veterans which is something that maybe Miami didn't do enough of. And they've also got top end talent, but it's like, do they, you know, can they tie it in right away? Is their coaching good? If you forget just like how Nashville, they maybe didn't have the, you know, the sexiest roster, the nicest roster, but their coaching was just stupendous. They got the most out of guys like, you know, Alistair Johnston, you know, Daniel Lovitz at the bottom of their roster versus guys like Hanny Mukhtar. Yes, not, you know, Austin has guys like Pochettino who are kind of that, Mukhtar equivalent but can they get the most out of their bottom guys I don't know yet I don't know enough about their their coaching to predict that so for me 
look at my top seven. I'm mean, hopefully I don't forget any teams here. I got Portland in there, Seattle, just to be sure. Cascadia. I think there's no reason to suggest any otherwise. Minnesota and SKZ, SKC. That would probably be my top four. I'd say those, those teams. I'm having Colorado in there. I'm I'm high on what Robin Fraser does as a coach. He's just he's he's really impressed me the last two years. Again, depth is an issue, so I I, I can see where you guys are coming from. I'm personally. I wasn't too surprised from what I saw from Colorado last year. And then rounding off the two spots, looking at the list, I think for me it has to be LAFC and it has to be San Jose, the two Cali teams. I'm just not very sold on the Galaxy. I don't think many teams are. Whitecaps, predictions-wise, I, I just have to have them on the edge now. Again, it's so close to the playoff spot. Uh, playoffs. The race is going to be so tight that I wouldn't be surprised either way. Houston again, not too sold on them. They did, you know, there are some intriguing acquisitions in there. RSL again, flyer flyers to be had on on RSL. They could be a, a, a very boomer bust team. They've got decent coaching, which can always take you a long way. Austin again, I've already said my piece on Austin. Dallas, yeah, I just look. There's so much like the margins are going to be so tight. I wouldn't be surprised if we see something where the the decision day this year really decides knocks out four or five teams from contention just because everyone's going to be playing each other too there's going to be a lot of i guess in, in hockey they call them three-point games in soccer i guess it would be five point four point games or something or six point games where one win could really sway the whole western conference table it's just going to be too tight for me to call but it's hard for me to bet against the two california teams in in lafc and San Jose, and it's too hard to bet against the two Cascadia teams. Ditto with the two central teams, Mini and SKC. And for me, I just have Colorado as my seventh. But what I like is there's so much variance there. And I'm sure I'm going to be interested to see when we return to these predictions, how we did just because of how tight it is. So it seems like the teams that we're not arguing about at all, or we don't have differing opinions on, SKC, Minnesota, Portland, Seattle. Those are four that we're all pretty confident about and and I don't think there's a lot of discussion there but then it's kind of from there on maybe I think LAFC to some extent we're maybe not sure just how good they are but they're they're a playoff well, team. is healthy so that certainly think, changes yeah. versus last year but I think then beyond those five it's very much open season is is that kind of fair to say I mean obviously with teams having a varying degree of expectation and kind of maximum potential but kind of beyond those five certainly anything could happen yeah can you can, can you cast off the galaxy completely i mean they're like yeah, well, they're they got not, a good I mean, coach too yeah. they got a good coach the roster build right now is really weird like they just signed a french winger on a dp contract but he was like in league two which i mean you know maybe he's a great player i don't know but like you know the yeah. galaxy normally you see him they're they're trying to get rid of players to add more DPs, not sign TAM guys on DP contracts. I feel like you, you can't just lose Pavon, who, I mean, the way they got him in on the deal he was in on, that was criminal. But, like, you can't, that just having that go away and not replacing it, like some of the some of the predictions from ML, I mean not to rag on MLS.com again, but some of the some of the just blind confidence in the name brand there shocked me. I'll be I won't be mad if they make a playoff run, but I'll be very impressed. I'll put it that way. Well, it's just, it really shows it, predictions tend to be recency bias. And I think that the people that end up doing well in predictions is who catching those, those teams that rise up for me, the one I'm proud of last year, I was high on Minnesota and Colorado at the beginning of the year. They ended up doing well. 
but you know, I was high on LAFC. I mean, Look what well for Colorado is, I think, I think a point of debate potentially. Well, but you have to remember they had a COVID outbreak and missed like nine games, and they were yeah. it was just uh, you know. I know, but they shouldn't even have really made the playoffs. They I guess the the format which they determined. <laughs> yeah, well, that, that's true, but also there's they they had the points for game for a reason. You know, it's not like it was, and they they gave Minnesota one heck of a ride. And they honestly could have made it to the next round, so it's not like they were unwilling combatants either. Again, that's what I feel like with it's just finding out knowing when to drop the established people and knowing when to go after the young, the, the low risers. And I think the galaxy ship personally for me has sailed. And I think people are riding too high on that. I think just if you're going to compare them directly to the white caps, since we know the white caps, I'd feel like the white caps are a team you'd invest in more because they have so many young players. Young, you know, are they going to grow and, and take a step forward? The potential is there. I'd rather bet on that than a Galaxy team filled with just signing a guy like Victor Vazquez to start. Like his legs were already gone when he was in Toronto. It's and... it's an old team. Like I think the the, 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 the core group Harry is Kitchen. well well over thirty, right? Yeah, so it's the spine of that team is Daniel <laughs> Starez, Jonathan DeSantos. Uh, who, who else? Oh, the Derek Williams. Chicharito. Like 20, 29, yeah, Chicharito, Vasquez. I mean, like, it's just so old. So yeah, maybe Alex, in 2007, they'd win MLS Cup. <laughs> Alex, I have one, I have a question for you about Colorado. Is it possible that your love affair with Lala Sabubakar is somewhat skewing your judgment? He's a good defender. <laughs> I know. It's it's one of Alex's favorite defenders in the league. He's a, so he's, I, a, he's a good player, and I think he he's, he... He showed last year why when Colorado brought him in on a trade in twenty or on loan in twenty nineteen, they were good. They bought him permanently in twenty twenty. They were good. He's gonna play a big role in that. I think people are sleeping on how good a guy like Eunice Namley is gonna be for them. He was kind of a forgotten man at times. Shout, shout out to Beta Sure as well, making his way around the league, but still could be a still a quality good, player. Sneaky good signing. I think they've got solid goalkeeping. They've got solid defending. The goals is a good point. Who are going to score the goals? I think Cole Bassett so far has looked good in preseason at striker. Andre Shinyashinki. They just, again, for me, it's more just how well coached they are and how solid they are at the back. For me, those are just two of what you need to, to go far in, in MLS. And they showed that last year. You look at teams like, for looking down the list, do you have that same confidence in, that, in Dallas to defend? I guess maybe Dallas is a bad example because they were actually one of the better defensive teams last year. But do you have the same confidence in Houston to defend? San Jose. R- RSL. San Jose. San Jose, RSL. very, very boomer bust. RSL, similar vibes. Like, yeah. I mean, I guess Houston brought in Tim Parker, which should theoretically really stabilize yeah. their defense. I, I, don't, I don't rate Houston at all. I think they're... No, I, Seller dwellers for sure. It's Houston and the Galaxy for me who are going to be at the bottom of the table. You make a good point about Colorado. I'm the credit where credit's due. Colorado, we're not afraid to trade in league for, you know, young players and older players. I mean, like it's, yeah, they got Rosenberry, Trusty, Abubakar. They've reformed their backline pretty quickly. Sam Vines is also looking really good. I thought he was excellent True. for the U.S. at U23s at left back. Shout out to Super Sub Nico Mosquita, still there. Kellen Acosta, like it's it's a it's a weird team. I agree, maybe with the depth and maybe lack of top end talent, but I just think and the thing is, as absurd as it is, just the Namely for me changes it. They have a number ten. The Whitecaps don't have a number ten. You know, some of the other teams don't have a number ten. And MLS hate it or love it, number tens just kind of make you look better than you are. So maybe that also impacts it. But uh, again, it's an interesting debate, and it's going to be one where I'm certainly. I'm going to be curious to revisit 
our thoughts on all of this just because i'm just hoping for a bloodbath personally i hope my dream is like the top team in the west finishes with like 50 or 60 points and the next and the bottom team finishes with like 40. Like i want there to be such a like tight disparity between first and 12th until the end of the game just to really drive home every game i want the I just, yeah, I don't know. The West just offers so much potential versus the East where you got in the East, you got your Cincinnati's, you know, to be fair, I'm not as low on Montreal as maybe some are. I thought their signings have been decent. They've got a, you know, Wilfred Nancy. Yes. He's a new coach, but he's, he was already in the fold before they're not bringing a new guy. I don't think they're as bad, you know, with Louise Binks at the back, they're not as bad as people are going to say. They I are. think there was a lot of disrespect there just based on the fact Terry on left that it's going to make some massive difference. Like, as much as he's a huge name and great for the sport, he wasn't necessarily a proven commodity as a coach. So I think that there's a lot of massively overrating his departure. And I think you know how much I like Louis Spinks. So I'm still a fan of Montreal to be in that playoff mix. Not that we're going to talk about the East too much. Yeah, that's right. I don't want to delve in the East, but just looking at the East, there's more like boomer bust. You got your Cincy's, your DC United's, your teams that are, you know, inter Miami. Like those, that team looks like a proper shambles they're trying to trade away their 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 dp 21 year old winger that they spent six million dollars for because they want to keep their core of higuain um, blaze matweedy and uh whoever the old the other third miami is the definition of more money than sense i feel (laughs) yeah so like i I don't even want to talk about them because i'll just get angry so like the west is so much more open there's there's less question marks so that's just what for me makes it so exciting and i think you could probably you, you you brought up some good points with that peter yeah, and we also and we all, we've also been making these predictions without considering some teams are gonna have like stadiums full of fans, and other teams are gonna have nobody. Like, I mean, I don't know if you guys saw, but like the Texas Rangers put a full <laughs> ballpark, like seventy thousand people two weeks ago. So, I was yeah, I mean, I, 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 Houston, Texas teams never been known to for their attendance in MLS, but you know, it, it could definitely make a difference what some teams have for their home environment. Yeah, and just even international duty. I haven't. I don't even want to look through the roster and do that math. But if there's teams that have a lot of American internationals, the U.S. has Nations League in June. They got, um, you know, they got. They didn't make the Olympics, which maybe might be a blessing in disguise for a few MLS teams. But they've got Gold Cup as well. Ditto with any teams with a lot of Mexicans or Hondurans, especially Hondurans, because they have to go to the Olympics. So there are a few Hondurans under 23 that might you know might have to go to, to the olympics maybe they call up some of their older guys i think maro is maro Minota still kicking around at houston <laughs> i don't know if he still is but he might have to they might use him as one of the overagers for the olympics there's there's just yeah this year is going to be a tough year for for teams and i, I feel like there's there's teams here we're mentioning that are going to sink top teams that are going to sink and if I'm going to throw a name now, Portland, they've already dealt with a lot of injuries. Sebastian Blanco dealt with injuries and he's Gota is de- he's, he's not going to be back until at least halfway through the season. They seem to me a team They're They're a Diego Valeri or Diego Chara injury away from an absolute collapse. But you look at the bottom of the table, you got teams like, heck, if you want to talk about Houston, what if all their acquisitions play as they, you know, as they could, they, they've got potential to go either way. It's, that's what's fun. I think we're going to leave it at that because we could literally argue about this all day, but I'm just so fascinated about how open it is. Well, do we just want to throw out there, are we making, I think feel like we should make, we made all of these predictions. We have to say 
where the Whitecaps finishing in the Western Conference standings for the regular season in 2021. And I think that that's an appropriate way to end it off. And I'm I'm happy to go first. I've already said this through 86 Forever content, and I've also said it on the podcast without actually revealing it outright. And I'll quote it again. The Whitecaps are going to be the team they thought they were last year, this year, and for that reason, they're going to finish ninth again. <laughs> Interesting. Well, I, Peter said six, so unless you have any. You, you have anything to add to that? Uh, yeah, honestly, I might renege on it a little bit and <laughs> change it to seventh. But I'm still keeping. I'm still buying this Whitecaps team for the playoffs. I think that, that a lot of it's just going to depend on their like, – like the Whitecaps, considering how tight the West – Western Conference is they cannot afford to lose home games like they fine have. lines fine lines yeah that's fine it lines. I think if we're going to talk about the white caps it's set up for them they have the back end of the home schedule that's an advantage if they bring in the DP number 10 eventually that's going to help them we, we could talk about that forever they brought in a bunch of new guys they actually have one of the more complete rosters in MLS at the moment which is not you know some teams haven't really signed guys it's set up for them I'm personally I've been burned too much before. I'm going to have them eighth. So at least if they make the playoffs, I won't look like an idiot. If they finished 11th, I won't look like an idiot. But, but the, you know, not looking like an idiot aside, I just think with how open ML, the West is, I think they're primed for a step forward. And I think they, they're, they're on the cusp for, for a push up. They're definitely going to push up. I just don't know how high they're going to push up. And maybe they make all of us eat our words and finish fourth. It's MLS. I don't discount anything in MLS. So someone told me they put money on Whitecaps winning Supporters Shield. I might look at them a bit weird, but I'd say, hey, it's MLS. You do you. So maybe on that note, the fact that we're doing predictions on MLS is just giving giving people enough hot take fodder to, to look back on in the future. So we'll leave it at that and close off the show. So on that note, I mean, great, great predictions. Great to, to chat with you guys about the Vancouver Whitecaps. I mean, I'll sign off first. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Alex Gungarus. I got BTS Fancy, btsfancy.com. And I just yeah, want to extend a thanks for Peter for, for joining us on today's show. I mean, more in the future, going to be guest segments, maybe some more full, full shows like this. Brings a wealth of knowledge on, on MLS as a whole. Does some great, you know, business articles, financial articles relating to soccer, stuff that certainly we want to go into more. So big pleasure to have you on the show for that so maybe i'll I'll pass it over to sam and i'll let you get the last word yeah uh, you can find me at uh, samuel underscore rowboat on twitter at 86 forever.com you can check out our social channels as well so the third sub on instagram and third sub pod on twitter now because there's two of them i have to think about it a little bit make sure i get them right but uh yeah check out those social channels We're going to be doing some live streaming as the season comes around, so stay tuned for that on the 86 Forever YouTube channel as well. And uh, Peter, pleasure to have you on. Great to have another voice to go through all of this content. It was a lot of information today. Um, And yeah, over to you. Yeah, no, I want to send my gratitude to both of you guys for having me on. Um, Yeah, I'm looking forward to what we have for the rest of the season. You guys can find me at, at Peter Hickens on twitter and uh yeah as alex alluded to i write some content on aftn as well but overall just looking forward to the season and hopefully doing more stuff with you guys all right oh i was gonna say on that note season two stay tuned episode one of season two it's gonna be a blast yeah thanks for listening everyone and we'll chat again soon